I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the afternoon session here on AusBiz. We kick it off as usual with the call. Ten stocks that you've suggested. I put it to... uh, two experts on the panel for their adjudication. I chuck in a stock of the day as well. Joining us today, Nathan Somerson-Darren from Deep Data Analytics. Nathan, how are you, sir? Back- uh, I'm doing well and a bit heavier than I used to be. <laughs> exactly. I think we've all uh, scoffed too many Easter eggs and, and <laughs> Anzac biscuits over the last week or so. Uh, someone always taught trim and terrific. Uh, Rudy Philippek Van Dyke from FN Arena. Rudy, you don't indulge at all, do you? Um, um, <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> I couldn't help but noticing there's an exercising bike. Yes. So how come he is not using that one? Yes, Nathan, <laughs> behind you there, the uh, the treadmill. You'll need to uh, uh, to get on it. It's always strategically um, placed. The exercise bike is that uh, is that just for show, or do you use it? Uh, yeah, it's there. I don't, think I, don't I don't think I even know how to use it. Yeah, uh, I think that's a great response. All right, uh, let's check in with the uh, the five stocks that uh, we're going to take a look at in the first half of now. We're going to have a look at AGL Energy. Uh, healthier, you want us to have a look at, at Flight Center, Magnus Energy Technologies and the Physical Gold ETF. Uh, stock of the day. So we take a look at Bubs uh, reporting positive growth momentum at home and abroad with a near 50% increase in revenue on the previous corresponding quarter. Looking ahead, the company is tempering market expectations though, pointing towards modest half-on-half growth in revenue with potential pandemic-related supply chain disruptions set to drive some variability. Share price, uh, Taking a bit of a hit this morning, not alone, mind you, uh, down about 5% on uh, what is an ugly market. Um, Rudy, Bubs, the uh, the infant formula, uh, goat milk infant formula, um, has had a torrid time of it the last two years. <laughs> Good revenue result. I like it where you finish. Yeah, 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 yeah. Torrid. <laughs> uh, torrid would be the description. I think uh, any I, good I, signs out of I, this update? No, I think it's a perfect day to have guests like uh, Mesa and me today. Right. <laughs> um, we don't have to talk about whisk too far. It's materializing. It's showing up. Yeah. Um, I think in general terms, um, uh, I think this is a market where you want to you want to pay attention to company size, uh, cash flows, and uh, predictability of what lies ahead. Right. Uh, very small company, not profitable, no sustainable cash flows. And, and today a uh, cautious warning for the six months ahead. Uh, why bore around it? Don't go anywhere near it in my, in my view. Okay. Um, th- th- the, the problem with companies like Bubs is that during the good times, which we, which we had mm. up, up until let's call 
November, December last year, um, they haven't made enough inroads on the operational side to become right to generate a lot of cash flow, and that's logical because they're, they're very small in size. They are entering a a very large market, and then up fifty percent in sales sounds impressive, but mm. they come from nowhere essentially. Right. Okay, all right, it, and it rode the A two milk cocktails yes. for a long time. Yes, didn't and, it? and and unfortunately, when the market leader goes uh, down the sink. Um, the other ones uh, have to yep. have to have to pedal even harder. Yep. And and we all know by now that uh, the Chinese market has increasingly become uh, more challenging. Yep. Uh, also because of lockdowns, uh, mm-hmm. and also because apparently the the Chinese brands are strengthening their grip on on the on the domestic market. So it has yep. become a little bit more difficult for the for the internationals. And last time I checked, Bob's is an international in, in China. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it all sounds very impressive when you're a very small company and you're making your first inroads. But at the end of the day, what, what, what companies now need in an environment when central banks are raising interest rates, bond deals are higher, uh, risk is materializing, and investors become more cautious, and we, we haven't even seen the liquidity withdrawal. Now investors in general are becoming more focused on where are the profits, where is the cash flow, Yep, uh, you got to buy real and, money. And, and the new beautiful is uh, is big. Yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nathan, what do you think of Bubs and the update? Yeah, look, I, I mean, obviously the update is uh, sounds good because it's coming off a low base, as Rudy said. Um, I, I think it's an interesting one. I mean, as you said, it's a uh, people compare it to A2 milk. Now, A2 milk is struggling, so Bubs going to have a tough luck. Um, the thing for me is the underlying play. Um, I'll, I'll look up, I've been a fan of the food sector and I still think that's going to play out for a while. But the thing that you have to remember in the food sector is the producers were the unloved category. The, the marketing guys with the branding have been the real money makers. That's changing. Now the guy who's producing is looking better <clears throat> simply because of the supply side issues. Um, so the bargaining power is going to go back to the producers. And I think over time, what we're going to see is there's going to be a supply-demand problem in the milk side, and the producers are going to have some leverage. So the guy who's got control of the supply chain will probably win out over the next couple of years in the milk uh, sector. Um, I think a lot of these baby milk powder plays are going to struggle because the input costs are going to keep rising. Um, Other than the usual cost rising already, uh, they're going to have to deal with that. Um, Bob's got the uniqueness of obviously the goat milk and and for me, you know, when you have something unique, you've got to keep an eye on it. And I think it's an interesting one. But as Rudy said, there's a lot of headwinds for it. And I think it's going to struggle. There are a few food producers who control their, uh, I suppose, channel supply chains are starting to look interesting uh, with the branding. Uh, Bob doesn't have that as much. Um, So in that context, I think it's going to be tough. Um, I'm not chasing it here, but it is one that I keep an eye on because of the uniqueness of the goat milk. Um, all right, let's get into the uh, the stocks that you want us to take a look at. Um, Rudy, first up, Paige wants uh, a view on AGL Energy, the uh, the big energy producer and distributor. I mean, I previously said big, and AGL, of course, is one of the large companies, but a lot, yep. lot less large than it used to be. Um, for me, it's too many question marks, um, although it would appear that um, uh, the forward indications of, of, of power prices, electricity prices in Australia, um, are now looking more beneficial for companies like Origin and Energy and, and, and AGL. 
um, there's still that spinning off of the, the dirty assets and keeping the, the assets of tomorrow. Um, there's political risk there. Um, since the share price already has rallied, although that might, that might be changing as we speak, but I think there are probably companies out there that have a, 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 a profile with less question marks right. and, and, and a more security in what, what, what lies ahead. And, and again, in, in line with the comments I made earlier, uh, they might find some support because they do pay dividends and they are quite large. Yeah. Uh, I still think um, too many question marks for me. Okay. All right. Um, uh, Nathan, what do you think of uh, AGL, the, um, the big energy producer? I, I saw in the Financial Times, it was about three weeks ago, that 2021, for the first time ever, saw more electricity generated from renewables than mm. coal, uh, which is a step in the right direction. Yeah, look, I think it's inevitable trend and that will happen over time. Uh, but I think the problem for AGL is being in Australia, we've had uh, clarity in energy policy uh, worse than my cooking. So in reality, we haven't had any. Um, so context is they don't know what they're doing. They've had management change. They've tried to reset the business model. But how do you reset a business model when you don't know what the macro environment is? So it's tough. You know there is a, a, a change in the energy sector towards renewables. You know it's going to take time. You need to plan for it. You need to accommodate for those changes. Um, and I think it's really hard to do when they don't have policy certainty. Um, as Rudy said, there's a split playing out. One part of it is probably negative NTA. Uh, everyone will dump it. Uh, and the other one is potentially could do better if the policy settings were in their favour. So there is too many questions, um, and you've had an M&A play that uh, has gone off, but in reality that's boosted the share price. So if that's not around, then this will probably keep sliding lower. So um, it has the potential, given there's a lot of questions get cleared out of the way, but at the moment there's too many questions, as Rudy said. So I, I'm not jumping in, um, and I think the sector, again, the other side of that is going to be is, what's going to happen over time is the trend that everyone starts to you know in australia we have a really high take up of solar cells and uh, solar bat batteries uh, stored solar power uh, at the home level if that continues to rise you're going to find more and more customers more or less moving out of the grid so again there's a lot of dynamics working against the sector and everyone knows that but i don't see the policy uh, setting clearing out anytime soon so We'll have to wait and see how this plays out. I think it's too high. It's a definition of ugly. Uh, $27.60 five years ago. $8.50 now. You've ridden it down to, say, five twelve, dollars uh, which was the five-year bottom about six months ago. It started to rally. Do you keep holding on or do you sell into the rally? Oh, that's a big one. If you held it all the way down, um, I think right now your risk return, look, on a personal level, I think there's a resetting in the market going through and there's probably a pullback that's going to play out at some point. Um, and when that happens, I think AGL will probably fall less than the others. So wow. you're actually, you know, in a twisted way, it's so bad <laughs> that most of the bad news is priced in. It's right. ugly, but it's getting ugly by the day and everyone knows it. So no one's going to yeah. touch it. Everyone who wants to get out have probably got an hour by now. So in theory, if you held it all this way, you're actually better off holding it. And when the market really goes bad and you have the pullback cycle, 
then flip it and buy a high quality business. All right. Okay. All right. Uh, Rudy, Brad wants a view on Healthier, the big podiatry, physiotherapy and optometry um, business that uh, operates my foot doctor podiatry uh, clinics, all sports physiotherapy and sports medicine clinics, iorthotics and a whole bunch of other. It's a bit of a roll up in that area, isn't it? We've got Steadfast at the second half of the show, which is an insurance broker roll up. This is more uh, you know, that. Yeah, I think, I think there's more to Steadfast than just a roll right. up. But, yeah. but health, health, yeah, I mean, if, if you look at the trend, the trend is actually quite positive. I mean, yeah. it, it, it has increasing sales every year. Uh, there, there was cash flow, there's profitability. Uh, probably a few disadvantages, as you say, roll up, and, and also it's, it's a relatively small size. Yep. Having said so, um, one of the popular trades this year is the reopening trade. Yep. And all else being equal, healthier should be part of that. Yep. I mean, they should be benefiting now from the fact that, <coughs> that as a society we're opening up again. Yep. Um, so from that perspective, uh, there was probably an argument to be said, and, and, and the share price is, is, is nowhere near uh, where some people think the, the, the value lies. Look at that one. Yep. Um, so from that perspective, you could add healthier uh, to your portfolio. For me, I, I can't get past the fact that it's, 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 it's really a small cap company. Yep. Um, and I'm, I'm a little bit worried that if, if sentiment in the market turns sour, that uh, for these small caps, uh, there's not necessarily a bottom inside. Yep. So you're, you're sort of seeing the big view here, small caps are going to get hammered if there's a pull, pullback there in the market, no matter how good the business. There's definitely more, more, more risk with the small caps, right. yes. Okay. And particularly if we, if we see um, uh, liquidity withdrawing, yeah. uh, when you see it with, uh, e uh, with uh, uh, cryptocurrencies, NFTs, yeah. uh, companies without profits, um, down 80, 90% is, uh, is almost standard. Yeah. Um, if we do, if we do go through a, through a tougher time ahead, then you have to be a little bit more careful where you put your money. Okay. If you do add something like uh, healthier to your portfolio, I would allocate a rather small piece of the portfolio. Right. Okay. Nathan. Yeah. Look, it's getting boring. I'm agreeing with Rudy too much. Um, it, it is a. It's probably not. I mean, bigger size in the micro cap space. Um, so it's not a small cap. It's probably in the big end of micro cap. Um, just over 200 mil. Um, look, it's been listed for four years. Um, the interesting part is the first two years, it went sideways. The last two years, it's had a bit of a bump up with all the multiple expansions, and it's pretty much gone sideways. So my problem is, if the what the market is willing to pay, I think people know what it is, and I think people are willing to pay a certain multiple. And since the multiple expansion is probably finished, and then now you're going to get a pullback in overall market multiples, my worry is I think this will go down with that and you'll see a pullback. Um, if you've been there, you've actually done okay if you were there from the IPO. Um, I would take the money and go somewhere else. As Rudy said, in this kind of market, uh, I love it when people say liquidity is the uh, risk measure. That's probably the dumbest risk measure because liquidity exists till it doesn't. And when it doesn't, it's too late. Uh, so what you're gonna find in small micro cap is when liquidity goes, the volatility increases dramatically and they underperform the market quite a bit. And I mean right. quite a bit. So in that context, I think you've got to know the risk return. What's your upside? A couple of brokers have recently uh, downgraded the share target price slightly. So that's telling me that the market is starting to feel that it's dropped out. So 
I think it's time to take your money and go somewhere else. Okay. All right. So a sell on healthier. Um, Maitham Brad wants a view on uh, on Flight Centre. The uh, the big travel agency chain was seen as one of the uh, the big reopening uh, stocks. Went through a big capital raise at the uh, at the bottom of the COVID lockdowns as well. Ah, uh, yeah. This is uh, look. I love the CEO. Let me start by saying I love the management. I love yeah. the CEO. Uh, one of the few people that actually looks at four or five year plan and moves forward with that. I think it's great. But the market is mispricing this stock. Um, I think, yes, there is a reopening cycle. Yes, everyone wants to travel because they've been locked up like animals and they want to get around. So that's positive. But what you have to remember is the amount of shares that Flight Center has. If you look at the amount of shares pre-pandemic to now, it's actually doubled. You know, the accounting rules around these things has to be looked at. It's okay, so, so what, what, what you're saying is, on the number of shares, it is up to almost the level before that big March 2020 COVID drop. That's right. The pan, the market cap of Flight Center now is slightly higher than what it was pre-pandemic. Wow. Uh, even though the share price looks... So they've been able to issue a lot of shares and not dilute the um, share price. So it gives the wrong impression. It looks cheap, but it's not cheap. So yeah. every time it gets over 20 bucks, it's actually 40 bucks comparably. So in that context, it's a massive sell. There's a reason why there's a lot of shorts in it because above 40 bucks, you're basically pricing in earnings that you're paying pre-pandemic, which won't happen for at least two to three years already. I mean, I love to say that investors are so patient. <laughs> I don't think they can wait three, four months, let alone three, four years. So yep. I don't see Flight Center doing that well. Uh, yes, it might have a bit of a pump uh, here and there because of sentiment and a bit of short covering, but there's it's one of the big shorted stocks and it's right for that reason because there's a hell of a lot of market cap in the stock that does not support the earnings yet. Okay. All right, so not just a sell, a massive sell on Flight no, Center, I, I Rudy. Know, I know, there's always superlatives, isn't there? Always <laughs> someone who goes, who goes bigger than the previous guy. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think Nathan makes, makes a valid point. I mean, investors often don't pay attention to those details. Yes. And, and, and one of the things I picked up recently, which to be honest, I, it hasn't occurred to me because I'm, I'm not that big in following the likes of uh, Webjet and, and, and Flight Center, is that uh, a lot of travelers, most travelers now, actually have credits with their airlines. Mm. So if they start traveling again, then those travel agencies don't see anything coming into their, coming in yeah. as income. Yeah. So that even delays what what, what Nathan just was, was was talking about. The impact of the of, of markets reopening and and everyone starts traveling again, it's going to have a very delay to it when they, when they're actually going to turn up in mm -hmm. uh, in the profits of, of of Webjet and 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 Flight Center because yeah. because of the credits. Um, and I and I couldn't agree more. I mean, I mean the reopening trade is very popular. Uh, because at the end of the day, uh, investors are convinced that at some point that, that, that will have its impact. But the share price here is, is, uh, is, uh, it prices in a lot. Uh, you, can, you can almost use that, uh, that famous uh, terminology that people always use. It's price for perfection. Right. And, and, it's, and the future most likely won't be perfect. Mm. So um, when it's down, maybe yes, as a, as, a, as a punt. But at this point in time, I wouldn't, I wouldn't yeah. add it to the portfolio. Yeah. Too much and risk. It, and has a market cap 
the same as it was, yes, or more yes, than pre-pandemic. At this point in time, doesn't probably, and, and you can you can make the same arguments for the likes of Webjet, although yeah. Webjet is a different business. Yeah, we don't have to underestimate as well. While you say that, and Nathan is correct, the business is not the same as in 2019. They, right. had, they had to close down a lot of. Yeah, yeah. And, and we have to. It's see a lot it. leaner and yes, meaner. Yes, but yeah. the profits are not there. No. Okay. All right, uh, Louis. Wants a view, Nathan, on Magnus Energy Technologies. Now, it's a, a lithium-ion battery company uh, with investments across. Um, a whole range of other companies. Louis says, love the expert's view. Some brief context uh, behind his thinking. Uh, Louis believes there's 60% stake in uh, Imperium 3 New York um, and the 100% stake in Natu Graphite Project could be materially undervalued based on number one, their offtake agreement for graphite from Natu and number two being in fully automated battery cell production before the end of the first half of 2022. Um, Mason, what do you think of Magnus? Yeah, look, I think it's an interesting stock. Um, I mean, the thing to remember is things like graphite and lithium are not that hard to find, but the interesting part about where we are in the cycle is you've got rising costs on everything, including borrowing costs. So it's going to get harder and harder for new projects to come on board. We all know that the EV trend is playing out, um, and we all know that uh, anyone who's already up and running or in the in the pathway to becoming a product, producing asset is going to benefit from the fact that the people behind them are going to find it even harder to get up in an environment where demand is probably going to be rising for a long period of time. Yes, in the short term, when you have slowing economic growth, I think over the next six months, there's going to be a wobble in commodities overall. We're probably seeing the early part of that. Uh, and we've been talking about that for a while. But after that, uh, you're going to have the, the real underlying economy-driven transition that's going to come through. Not central bank pumped stimulus uh, recovery, but the real economy recovery that's going to come through. So that's going to drive this for a long period of time. So I think commodities are a massive part of that recovery cycle. And I think Magnus Energy plays a part of that. So I do like it, and I think it's in, you know it's in the right place where it's probably got a lot of upside that's undervalued by the market, where the producing uh, players, the market price is in extreme upside. So you've got to balance the risk return, and I think Magnus uh, looks pretty good there. So I don't mind it. I actually think it's, a, it's not a bad play. I think the caller's right. I think there are undervalued, um, look, short term, expected this to wobble and probably come back a bit. But I think the medium to long term picture looks pretty positive. So okay. I don't mind. I, I think this is one where, um, you know, we've got to go with our T-shirt one, uh, Koshi. We've got to go with the nibble. I okay, think all right. Gradually, gradually <laughs> over the next couple of months. And uh, I think you'll do well. Okay. Rudy, would you have a nibble at Magnus? Whoa! I'll have to, yeah, uh, maybe, 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 not, maybe not, maybe not, maybe not. Okay. But for me, for me, it's, for me, it's too early in the in the in the, in the company's development. Right. Um, I would agree with with um, with Maiton on the fact that um, if you if you are in those small commodity stocks now, you better prepare for uh, volatility. Yep. Uh, and volatility can really even even though if the share price hasn't gone up, it can really cut uh, to the downside. Um, I mean, not profitable. No sustainable cash flows. Uh, you have a bit of a problem in, in if this market uh, gets a bit on the negative side. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I would I would actually 
I mean, most, most, most investors can take a long-term view until the share price drops. And then they all got like, ooh, what's happening to my shares? Yeah. So on, on that perspective, I think uh, you can wait here. Okay. And you can wait for... Uh, so they're going to be in battery cell production by the end of June. Yeah, but then, then, then again, then most of the times when they start producing, they, they run into problems. Right. <laughs> that's, that's the irony of this. Okay. So that's why I would actually wait until, until you get a little bit more of a clearer picture on how, how that goes with costs and, and, and okay. with, with mass production and all of that. It's just, it's just a matter of, of, of balancing your risk. The alternative, right. what you can do, is, is what basically what Nathan suggests. You, you take a little bit that's of right. an interest, and then you can al always see whether you add more down the, down, the, down the track. Right, but you wouldn't be doing that now? Oh, no. For me, for no. me it's, uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'd rather be on the cautious side here. I okay. think this is a time when you play defense, not offense. Okay. And this would definitely be like an offense All right. Okay, speaking of defence, Rob wants a view on gold. Mm, now, really? we're, now, now we're talking defence. Now we're going defence, <laughs> are you? Okay, <laughs> so how does this stack up? Uh, Rob says, um, everything I read suggests the Aussie dollar is going up and with all the rate hikes, you would expect the US dollar to rise as well. So I'm wondering whether I should buy ETF gold, uh, which is unhedged, or QUA ETF, um, which, is, which is hedged. What do you think? Number one, I suppose yes, two issues here. Should gold, you be gold getting into and gold? Gold and the currency. Yeah. yeah. Should you be getting into gold yeah. now? And okay, okay. I mean, we might actually have like a little bit of a discussion here because I don't actually don't know Nathan's view on gold, but it, I, I'm assuming it might actually be different. Um, I'm con I'm convinced that everyone should own a little bit of gold. Right. Uh, the level of gold exposure in your portfolio should be directly correlated with, with how comfortable you are with the outlook of financial markets. Right. So at this point in time, you might actually, if you're really uncomfortable, you might actually start adding some more gold. Right. Having said so, I also believe that most, more, most people buy gold for the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. Gold is a very lousy protector against inflation. Right. Very lousy. Gold is an excellent protector against high inflation. But if things pan out the way that most people think they will, including myself, then high inflation will be taken care of over the next nine months or so. So that would reduce the attractiveness of owning gold, also right. because of the, how the US Treasury markets will, will respond to that. So we, having said so, you, you own gold for all the other scenarios, for the fact that the Fed might actually make a mistake, which is for the fact, the fact that the, the outlook for the US economy looks a little bit shaky here. Yeah. For the fact that outlook for financial markets probably a little bit shaky. Those are the reasons why you own gold. Now gold can, can be punished very hard because a lot of that is already priced in. Yeah. And, and, and some people do all these modeling, they think that gold actually without those influences should be around 1600 something. Right. It's, it's, around it's, it's just under 19, yeah. that's the US. Now having said so, you have an insurance policy for burning down the house and you hope that you don't have to use it. Right. That's, I think, it's probably the right way to, to look at gold. Um, it, 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 over the last two decades, it has offered a equity-like return and sometimes in contradiction to the equity market. Right. That's why you own gold. It right. does sometimes the opposite of what the equities do. So do you own gold? DTF um, is fine, but then the question mark becomes, do you, do you hedge it for the currency or not? And that's... Yeah. I find a, 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 an incredibly difficult proposition to make because, as an example, all the forecasts of the Aussie going to 80 cents, well, it's 72, it's yeah. below 72 now. Yeah. You see how difficult it is to, yeah. to forecast the currency. Also, 
I actually think that the, the if we are going through a tougher time for commodities, then it's more likely that the US dollar will strengthen first. Uh, because the, Fed, the Federal Reserve will, will go very right. hard on raising interest rates. Yeah. The RBA is very much on the waiting uh, end of the delay. So we probably f will see first a strengthening US dollar and later on maybe a strengthening uh, Aussie. Okay. So if you, if you don't go through the cycle, don't worry about the currency. It takes care of itself. Okay. Know? So yes, buy gold. Unhedged. Don't worry about the currency. Uh, bullion or I, miners? I, 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 no, but that's, that's not a proposition. Mining uh, companies are a completely different proposition from, from right. gold itself. Out of risk assessment, I, I prefer to just own gold. Right. Because that's my insurance policy. Yep. Um, if, if you really want to go into the companies, then you really have to go for companies that have a strengthening um, uh, production profile that they're yeah. going to produce more in the years ahead because that means the, the the chances are in your favor independent of what gold is going to do and sure. the currency yep okay uh, Nathan uh, Rudy's gone yes good time to buy gold did I read it? it's a nine-week low or something at the moment uh, and unhedged yeah, look, I'm, I'm a big fan of gold. Uh, we've spoken about this a number of times. Um, I think the gold is the only asset class at the moment non-correlated to the markets. Everything else is correlated. Uh, central banks have uh, done a disservice to investors by removing all non-correlated uh, cycles, and they've made everyone correlated. So, you know, usually people will go through bonds, equities, mix, you can look at property mix, you can look at other uh, cash and other asset classes. Basically, either they're returning nothing or they're doing the same thing that the equities is doing, so you've got no protection. So you really have to manage your risk, and, and Rudy's right. We are in a cycle where risk management is going to be massive over the next couple of years because they've lost, basically central banks have now lost control of the inflation. Um, now they're backtracking and making up stuff as they go. RBA will be behind. Um, so I wouldn't be hedging um, the currency simply because RBA uh, is stuck with the property bubble that they created. And no matter what they say, they have all their fingerprints all over it. Uh, and when it goes wrong, they're going to come out and say, nobody saw this coming. Unfortunately, everyone saw this coming. Um, so in this cycle, I think the Aussie dollar lags. Um, I know brokers got excited with the currency it's pretty much to do with China. So if you look at what's happening in China and the lockdown, you knew commodities were going to hit a weak point and that'll bring down the Aussie dollar. Chinese one is falling, uh, that's depreciating against the US dollar and that means Aussie dollar will fall. So we're seeing that. I think the protection hedge in gold is huge. It's the only non-correlated asset, so we're there. Okay. Uh, we've been in the miners and the miners, they're, they're in value territory values outperforming growth. So in that context, I think Aussie gold miners have that protection. So if you look at uh, spot gold in Aussie dollar terms, it actually is holding up quite well because all yeah. the falls in gold is being supported by bigger falls in Aussie dollar. So you're still doing quite well. Margins are really good. Um, and if this holds up where it is, and it doesn't have to do anything, it just has to hold up where it is, most of the Aussie gold miners will be churning out so much cash They'll be paying dividends in the next six to nine months. Okay. Um, so in that context, I'm a big fan. If you want to buy an ETF, I'm going unhedged. Happy to buy the, the physical gold ETF. Um, we as we've been pushing uh, miners or gold miners for our clients for a number of uh, nearly a year and a half now. Right. Okay. So what percentage 
of a portfolio should be in gold or related to gold? Yes. So this is the interesting part. Historically, you're going to say five to ten percent. Right. That's in a normalized cycle when all the asset classes are behaving normally. We are not in a normalized cycle. We're in massively manipulated cycle. So you, when you're looking for non-correlated assets to protect you, I think gold becomes a bigger holding because simply because it's the only one that's non-correlated. So I think you've got to dial it up a bit. You're probably pushing it to 15, 10 to 15% from 5 to 10%. Wow. 10 to 15% in gold. I know. I know. That probably gives you an idea that Mason is much more bearish than I'm more cautious. Yeah. yeah. But could, yes, be di could be different this time. But as I, but as I said earlier, uh, where I agree with Mason is you, you have to correlate it to how comfortable or not yep. comfortable you are with this market. Well, Mason obviously is a lot less comfortable. Yep. And then 15% is a lot, so you have to be really convinced in your in your, yep. in your your allocation. Do you follow his Twitter feed? Yes, I do. Yeah, okay. I have to wipe off the sweat uh, every, yeah, every, I know. every day. He finishes just everything <laughs> with it. It might be different this time. Yes, I know. <laughs> Which it never is. All right, let's uh, recap the uh, the first five stocks. Um, stock of the day, Bubs, a no from both Maitland and, and Rudy. Same with AGL. Healthier a sell from uh, from Maitland, a no from Rudy. Flight Centre is a massive sell from uh, from Maitland, a no from Rudy. Uh, Magnus is a no from Rudy, but start nibbling uh, from from Maitland. He quite likes the company. Uh, and the physical gold ETF, um, a yes from both. Uh, gold is worth buying unhedged. And Nathan is saying maybe 10 to 15% of your portfolio. Um, so uh, here on the call, of course, we're tracking our own fantasy portfolio, a high conviction fund, which is picked by our investment committee. The latest episode of the uh, committee meeting is live for you to watch on osbiz.com. So, lets you sort of get inside what um, analysts and, and, and fund managers are actually thinking when they put together a portfolio. Uh, the most recent additions to the portfolio, they meet once a month. JB Hi-Fi, ProMedicus, Linus and Incitec Pivot uh, were added to the fund, joining the original 20 stocks. Uh, our fund is up uh, about half a percent since the 1st of March. Uh, so keep sending in your requests for the call because that's the first filter. And uh, the gold ETF, physical gold ETF, will go to the investment committee because I got a tip from, uh, from both Rudy and Nathan today. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. Coming up in this half hour, Ramsey Healthcare sent us uh, Genus Plus, Steadfast and Select Harvest. Uh, Victor wants to view uh, Rudy on Ramsey Healthcare. Uh, uh, Victor says with the pending takeover bid, is it too late to buy Ramsey? What if it falls over and shares keep going up and I miss the boat? Of course, uh, KKR has made a $20 billion takeover offer for uh, Ramsey Healthcare at what, 88 cents um, a share? 
Yeah. This is not an environment. IDI dollars, not yeah, IDI yeah, cents, yeah. IDI dollars. This is, this is not an environment to be worried about missing out. Right. You only, you only, you only watch your downside here. Right. Um, I'm always surprised that when, when the takeover offer comes and then people think, is it too late to get on board? What do you think? Mm -hmm. The market is very quickly in, in pricing the bid in and the risks that the bid might not go right. ahead. Yep. So that's why it's not at the maximum price here. Um, I think the, mo the, the, the better approach here is, if you don't own the stock, it's fine. Just accept that you weren't there at the right time and the mm -hmm. right place, move on. I mean, there are much less risky propositions. Instead of jumping on board now and taking the risk that somehow something can still go come in yeah. between, the other approach is that if you already owned the stock, um, you can take the view that when luck falls into your lap, appreciate for what it is. Mm. So you don't have to wait until the the, the, the final um, bid is definitive or anything. You can just go like, well, this was very unexpected. I didn't know yeah. this was coming, and take your profits. Right. right? But that's. There, there is your, I mean, I, I, I owned Iris a while ago when an unexpected bid was placed on Iris. And, and I, I sold half my shares in, in making sure that I secured some of the profits. And the other half, I decided I wouldn't be that un, unhappy if the bid would fall through, which it did subsequently. Yeah. But yeah. at least I was half unhappy and right. half happy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And as and, and sometimes the market works, um, this year Iris has been one of my better performing stocks. Yeah, right. So I'm actually quite happy to have it. Right. But that's sometimes how the market can do unexpected things. And you just have to accept for what it is. I mean, yep. it was unplanned, but don't try to. Um, jump on board here yeah. and it, it makes very little sense so don't jump on board and take your profit if you're at least at least half i would say okay things can go wrong yep nathan you're there nathan are they if you've got a bid and for the right or wrong reason we you know there was a bid and you take it and run um look if they i think the biggest interesting thematic for me is what's happening with private equity. Uh, these guys are putting up a lot of money for massive assets. I mean, they're not buying high growth, you know, fancy, sexy assets. They're buying boring stuff. Now, they're buying Sydney airports. They're buying Ramsey. Um, in the US, they're buying um, university student accommodation buildings. Um, so what, what are they telling you? They're telling you growth is going to be harder in the future. Inflation is probably going to be elevated. Central banks are going to struggle. So in that environment, they're going for solid, strong businesses with great assets that's going to deliver solid cash flow. And you know, in a twisted way, all of the businesses they're going for are good cash generators. Yeah. And Ramsey is one of them. It's a really good global play. Um, and I think it was, it probably, it, it's an interesting one. If you look at what happened to it, it actually outperforms in a normal market underperforms in a stimulus boosted market because it's not the growth play. So um, it's probably going to do well in the future and that's why private equity bought it, but that's priced in. So you're not getting much. So I'm not chasing that. If you want to look at someone's global and uh, global operations and a good business that can put more through their operations, I would look at someone like Sonic Healthcare. So this is probably, it's not the like for like, I don't think we have any, uh, like for like for Ramsey, uh, but if you're looking for a healthcare exposure, good global business uh, that's solid and you know diversified, yeah. I'd look at someone like Sonic Healthcare and say, look, I'll take the money and probably look at someone like Sonic to 
move into. Right. Okay. So would you, if you're a uh, Ramsey shareholder, just take the current valuation and move on? Yeah, you, t- you take it and run. Yep. Uh, okay. this, is, this is a market where um, you've been gifted from private equity yep. a massive pop. Private equity never gives you a freebie. So <laughs> take it while you can. Take it while you can, all right. <laughs> well, while we're at it, let's throw in CSL as well. If, if you're in healthcare, now's, oh, the yeah. time, now's the time to own CSL. Okay. All right. Uh, <laughs> is a, um, I've been nibbling at CSL in my little super fund on the way down because uh, I remember... Was it you, Rudy, that no, a year must have, ago? must have been the charters uh, that gave you that. But, but I, uh, yeah, me, no, a year ago, a year ago you, I think you said if CSL falls under $300 any time you start buying, yeah. keep it in proportion. Yeah. Of course, by now it has issued fresh capital, so yeah, that, yeah. that level That's is right. a bit lower. But anyway, you get, you uh, get, think, now, the, you get now the potential CSL. of the acquisition on top. So. Yeah. I think CSL looks great here. Um, yeah, absolutely. I know uh, Gurav and Koshi were on my neck when I said it's a sell at, uh, I think it was about 310. Yeah. Um, but I still think CSL is the best growth stock in the market, but it has a price. And I think where it is now, your risk return is in your favor. And yep. I think in an environment where there's low growth, CSL looks like an absolute gem. Okay. All right. Rachel wants a view, Nathan, on Santos. Rachel says, I'm in my 20s. I have a, a light ESG filter for my investments, brackets, if there is such a thing. Rachel, we have, yep, we know. Uh, everyone's ESG is, is different. Uh, Santos seems to be doing the best in this regard, or am I kidding myself, Nathan? Uh, Santos, of course, the big oil and gas producer that's also in, not green, blue hydrogen, is that? Is uh, make a big play. Yeah, okay. I know, I know. <laughs> carbon storage is another one, yeah, carbon just, storage. I'll, I'll leave the blue hydrogen to the side uh, because, yeah, not going there. Uh, but <laughs> Santos is a beneficiary of what's happening in the, in the sector. Um, and the simple maths of it is there hasn't been much capex. Supply has been struggling and demand has jumped hard. And obviously, that's driving up energy prices. War hasn't helped. Uh, that's creating more problems. So the supply side issues are getting bigger and bigger. Uh, OPEC is doing their own manipulation. Uh, Russia and China is in the game as well. So energy prices are going to probably be elevated for a while. Now, in the shorter term, my worry was global growth was always going to pull back. And that's going to hit um, all commodities, including energy. And we're probably seeing that. I mean, these guys are dominant LNG player. And if you look at the LNG prices to um, Asia, it went absolutely nuts uh, yeah. about three four months ago, and it's starting to come off. Now, it's still pretty high, and they still should be doing quite well. But you've got to remember, uh, most of these things were relatively well-priced pre-pandemic, and we're back up there. Uh, yeah. They made big acquisitions. Um, I don't think that makes it easier. Uh, I think it's a tougher play now. Um, but everyone and anyone knows is basically betting on energy prices going higher. But I think in the shorter term, it goes the other way because it's an overly crowded trade. So yeah. I'm not jumping into the energy sector right now because everyone is there. Um, it'll come off. But it's for me, it's interesting in the medium to long term. Um, but I think before that, we're going to have some serious pullback in growth rates and economic worries. So. Um, it's not a sector that you want to be there when slowdown plays out, but it's a sector for the recovery cycle. So 
Um, I think it's a good play, but not now. Brady? ESG. Uh, Yes, she's kidding herself. Um, (laughs) I mean, from an ESG perspective, this is as close to Satan's company as you can get on the the ASX. (laughs) (laughs) Except except, uh, get... um, uh, Claude Walker onto the coal miners. Exactly. Oh, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Second derivative. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, 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 I agree with, with Nathan. This is the, the most crowded trade in the share market right now. Uh, yeah. Short tech, uh, long uh, energy. The reason why, why I l- differ a little bit, is the reason why you own Centos is because they are going to sell off assets and that capital will come to shareholders. Yeah. And that's the reason, and they will obviously, of course, reduce their debt, but they will pay money to shareholders. That's the reason why, why you own uh, Santos, Santos here. Yeah. Not because of you have a light ESG filter, because you are kidding yourself. And, 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 and stories about uh, blue hydrogen, let's talk to, to the hydrogen industry. They, have a, they, they, they don't start laughing about it. Right. And, and, and we haven't even mentioned carbon storage. So let's not kid ourselves. The share price is where it is, because I mean, everyone yeah. moved into energy. Uh, that is a little bit deflating right now. Big question marks um, when the demand actually will um, peak in the decade ahead and, and how much supply we can get on board. But um, I wouldn't chase it here. You probably want to buy them when they're a little bit lower. Right. And then hopefully uh, some asset sales fall on your lap and you, you cash, it, cash in the cash. Okay. All right. Callum wants a view, Rudy, on Genus Plus. Uh, Callum's here. Uh, they're a, a specialist service provider for uh, power and telecommunications infrastructure. Uh, small, Callum says, small cap company, profitable, PE roughly 12, reasonable return on equity and on capital, seem to be trading at 0.37 relative to book value. Am I missing something here? Yeah, one thing to mention is I had a look at the, the trading volumes. Right. Uh, I think a five-year-old is responsible for the trading for us, but right. just by so the just by the weekend money he gets from his mom. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Look so at it's it's it's. Look f- at that graph. Yeah. Yes. That chart shows you. That is basically the long and the short. I mean, it's yeah. a small company. There's no volume in there. Uh, people like myself wouldn't even look at it because I mean, if I sneeze, the share price falls. Yeah. I mean, it's that simple. Yeah. So, and again, in my in what I said earlier, I don't think I don't think there's an environment where you where you dial back on the risk taking. Yeah, this automatically falls That's out right. of my filters. Nathan? Yeah, the insiders own pretty much all of it. Um, so it trades by appointment, <laughs> yeah. call, call for a trade. Um, so it, it can move quite a bit. And it's had a pretty decent run. Um, and I think it's going to be really tough to put, I mean, there's a reason why it's cheap, because one, the sector doesn't attract massive multiples. Two, uh, the reason float means Brokers have very high expectations, so the multiple looks low. Um, and three, it doesn't trade much. So yeah. when the market goes bad, you won't be able to get out. So yeah. that's not a kind of stock that you want to be in this kind of market. So okay. um, it's too hard. Uh, Luke, Nathan, want to view on whether Steadfast is a stock you want to be in for this market. Of course, the big insurance broking network. Yeah, we've spoken about this one before. I'm a fan. Um, I'm, I'm a fan of both the uh, invest- insurance brokers, Oz brokers, and Steadfast. Um, good business models, um, good management, um, and they've managed it through the cycle. And I think, for me, the whole insurance sector is a uh, it's the ugly duckling. Uh, people don't want to look at it because, of course, you've got the Warren Buffett thing about insurance. Uh, damn you, Warren Buffett! Uh, <laughs> but in reality. Uh, 
Everything has a price. He invested in insurance. <laughs> exactly. The two sectors he said don't invest in, airlines and insurance, he, he bought did. it. Actually, yeah. funnily enough, he actually bought airline, got it wrong, sold out, bought it again, got it wrong, sold out, and he'll, he'll do it again. Because yeah. the reality is, he's a smart man who looks at risk return. So, you know, the insurance sector for me is actually offering pretty good risk return. In a rising yield environment, insurance sector does better. Uh, they're going through tough times, yes, but they will do better. Uh, the other side of that argument is also premiums are going up. So you're in that cycle where you're benefiting. Um, and I think Setfast and Osbrokers, both of them will do. The macro is really good and both of them have really good management. I mean, you're not going to get it cheap. It's not going to come back too far, unfortunately, uh, but they're good businesses. Uh, so, yeah, I just I just struggle to say, you know, go buy it now. But if you have it, it's it's a great stock, good management, so don't sell it. So, so are, you, are you saying go buy it at these levels or not just a whole? No, I think uh, I struggled to buy it. I think you've got better oh. risk return elsewhere. Okay. But if you have it, just keep it. Yeah. it it's it's good. It's a yeah. really right. positive. Well, Brady? I'm hoping that uh, the share price is tanking today, so then you can definitely put a buy on it. But uh, <laughs> I, mean, um, I, I disagree with, uh, with Mason on the, on the insurance. Um, I do believe well, a lot of people underestimate, I think, what lies ahead in terms of uh, climate change and, and extreme events and how that is going to put increasingly pressure on insurance companies that they can no longer reinsure as much as it did in the past and then take on more risk or yeah. they have to allow that their, their margins come under pressure. Now, having said so, um, everyone can have his view on insurance companies, but I fully agree with the fact that uh, the insurance brokers are much more uh, stable reliable and uh, a good companies to own the only the only th the only comment i would make is that i would prefer steadfast above uh, the other because i think we have two or three other listed including osbrokers because it's the largest in the sector yep. and even then unfortunately it is still really a, a small cap yep. so that is the, the 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 one thing i could hold against steadfast is because it's it's, it's would you buy it at these levels it's but actually, i would i would it's actually, actually up five cents it's, there you go in a market that's and, being and, hammered and today. this is also where i differ a little bit with me i think you can buy here right um the, the mistake a lot of people make is they go for the cheaper one on a relative basis i think osbrokers is cheaper but osbrokers also from memory 75 percent smaller than, right. than than this one this one always trades as a premium yeah and that's because okay. it's a premium business right. but i would i would think you can you can hold this one the only disadvantage i see here is the size all the rest uh works very much okay. in our favor and if you take a long-term view you'll see that the, the the underlying trend is up okay our final stock andy wants a view Nathan, on select harvest the uh uh, the big almond, and uh, they also do dried fruits and things like that. Andy says, uh, what's your view, and does it sit well, because you've been banging on, Andy obviously uh, follows the call pretty regularly, about this big food thematic, anything to do with food, get into it. Is Select Harvest part of that? Yeah, look, I've been starting to look at a lot of producers uh, in different in sectors, seven segments, uh, and, you know, Select Harvest is one, almonds, you know, get some nuts. Uh, this thing is a really uh, interesting model because of the protein supplement that you get. Um, the main competitive region is uh, Californian uh, agriculture, so we have West Coast. And you can see the weather problems there. Um, and you can see um, 
production problems, um, transport problems, all of these are playing into the sector. But it still hasn't turned around the underlying model. The prices are still relatively subdued. Uh, there's a fair amount of stockpile, so that, that needs to play out. Um, but it's it's interesting. I, I am keeping an eye on it. There's a couple of other food players that are popping up. Um, and unlike we discussed above before, where they're a marketing branding play, these guys are underlying producers. So in an right. inflationary cycle, the underlying players will benefit. So I am. we have been looking at this for the last couple of months, and yeah. it is looking quite interesting. We are not seeing the green light yet, but look, it's cheap enough agriculture. You buy it on the downswing, and it looks really interesting. So, uh, you know, pardon the pun. I think you want to have some nibble on the nuts here. Uh, right. I think you buy some, and you spread it over the next couple of months. If the dynamics start to improve and almond prices pick up, Okay. This thing can have a decent run. Uh, Rudy, would you be having a nibble at the nuts here? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm in doubt whether I'm going to send this out to the to the committee or not. Um, I mean, the one, the one the one thing the one thing I I mean I agree with the fact that it looks cheap. It has had really two tough years. The expectation is that the next two years will look a lot better. Yep. But I have to emphasize, I mean, food agricultural commodities have a very short cycle. And they always um, end before you before you actually have time to uh, fully assess them, and and um, and it goes even for the likes of a grain corp and and, and others. I mean, yep. um, it's very cyclical. But if you want to own them, uh, it probably probably at this level instead of when they when they start picking up. The other one, right. I'll just mention quickly. The other one to remember about Select Harvest is it's a massive currency play. So a falling Aussie dollar is a hugely positive catalyst for select harvest. So okay. that's one to keep an eye on. That's where I think we're starting to see a bit of interest come back because it works out mm. to be a pretty big currency play. Okay. So are you saying... I'd say it's a hold. A hold. Oh, I, have oh, de- oh. I have decided not to put to the okay. committee. Okay, <laughs> not to send it through to the committee. All right, let's uh, recap the uh, the final five stocks. Um, Ramsey Healthcare... Take your profits at these level. You've been gifted a, a, a massive takeover offer by uh, by KKR Private Equity. Um, um, in the same sort of sector, uh, Nathan likes Sonic, and uh, both Rudy and Nathan agree CSL looks really attractive at these levels as well. So switch out of Ramsey into those. Uh, Santos and O, Genesis Plus and O, uh, steadfast uh, a hold from Nathan. Um, and a buy from Rudy. Uh, Nathan also likes Ausbrokers. Rudy prefers Steadfast in this insurance sector. And Select Harvest, uh, Nathan's saying start nibbling at Select Harvest. It is starting to look attractive and Rudy has a hold on it. Uh, gents, thank you for joining us. Nathan Thomas and Darren from Deep Data Analytics. Nathan, always good to see you. Get back on that exercise bike. So you've got the background, <laughs> just don't show it off. And uh, Rudy Philippette Van Dyke from FN Arena, always great to catch up, mate. My pleasure. Good to see you. Uh, if you've got any stocks you'd like us to cover here on the call, put them in an email, the call at osbiz.com.au or tweet us using the at TV handle. You can see all the stocks in the calls portfolio at osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. <laughs>
for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.